the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 642. That is 642 of the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga. I hope you are doing well wherever this podcast may find you. I hope you are doing well. How am I? You know, all good, all things considered. Living the vida loca, doing the best I can with the time that is available and allotted to moi. I've seen a couple of interesting posts the last few days, things that have kind of really got me thinking about, wow, look how quick the year zips by and look how quickly people have to condition you and kind of get you ready to look forward to the first, you know, to future months that you're probably not even thinking about. And I thought about it specifically when it comes to raves and festivals. Obviously, some of the big announcements have happened, stuff to do with Primavera mentioned on the podcast, Coachella's out there, but all these kind of local-type festivals that are taking place in around where I live in London are also starting to announce some of their festivals popping up. And I think the recent one I saw was like Maiden Voyage that's happening in like Hackney. I saw another one, I forgot the name, I think it's called Rise or something, that's like an all-female one that's happening also very soon. So they have to get you in that sort of mindset even though they know the majority of people are probably um, not thinking about raving or partying right now because I know there are many people out there who are probably doing dry January because they don't get opportunity to kind of you know cut off the booze and be a little bit clean and look after themselves and then sometimes what I think happens similar to like gyms I'm sure there is a certain segment or number of the population who do a new year's resolution that involves getting fit or getting more healthy or abstaining from some of their vices and some of them stick with it until the end of the year so i'm sure drug dealers um pub landlords uh cocktail bar owners nightclub owners hate january because you end up losing a couple patrons here and there who decide to change their life after a crazy new year's and then done they're not they're not back again in your pub anymore you're kind of losing a few numbers so i think that probably happens with festival times but if you're a festival and you're a promoter you have to promote now you have to kind of get the word out because people are kind of planning their holidays like i've um been talking to a few people and i found out some people already putting in their holiday request for the summer with their work you know depending you know if you work in a company and unfortunately if you have like millennials and gen z people who typically like to go away um for short breaks during the public holidays or you know summer breaks whatever it may be you have to be kind of quick to put your holiday request in pretty soon because all the times that you want to go away other people want to go away also and it's not always because of festivals sometimes festivals and concerts are usually timed around the times in the year when most people would want to go away whether it be in the summer whether it be you know in the spring whether it be just before fall so you're having to put those requests in very quickly and having to think of these things while your brain is still adjusting to the new year you're still getting acclimated to what's going on you're still trying to figure out how to kind of you know um, afford everything with the flipping rising flipping egg prices and all this sort of nonsense going on it's an absolute brain melter but we're going to get there little by little. But it was just funny to see it today. I saw like maiden voice saying, hey, man, hey, we've got these um 
tickets, £20, I think, which is a great deal, to be fair, for a one-day festival vibe in the middle of hacking summer. I think it's one day or two day. So, like, hey, jump on these £20 tickets, but it's still £20. You're thinking it's a deal, but you're still committing to £20 that you won't have by the end of the month. Do you know what I mean? So, probably best to kind of put all that money to the side and save what you can and then kind of decide lastminute.com if you want to go. That's usually my MO with most of these things. I like to buy my tickets right until the last time that I'm going because I've made so many mistakes in the past where I've bought loads of tickets beforehand you know thinking I'm going to go to all these events and I've just got tired I've just not been bothered I've been lazy I've been you know busy with other things I'm like you know what I don't want to do that actually I don't actually want to go and now suddenly you've got this flipping 50 pound ticket burning a hole in your pocket and I'm not really one for reselling tickets I don't really believe that's a good thing personally I'm not even a fan of really refunding tickets either I'm more of a fan of just giving them away I've done it plenty of time especially um, you know part of this flipping little whatsapp group where we basically you know talk to each other about events and whatnot that we want to go to in terms of techno stuff and i just maybe throw it up on there or sometimes just give it out or leave the qr code available on you know t- twitter and whoever kind of takes it to take it um but it, the best way to avoid it is just to kind of keep your money in your pocket and don't get separated from it too quickly you would imagine you would imagine i was also randomly today thinking randomly thinking about the boring company yeah i know you've probably not heard of it in a while um it's elon musk one of his kind of side project that he's got running at the moment um the describer his pet project or something that he has got some real long-term plans for but essentially the idea behind it was that he wanted to build an underway tunnel system um in certain areas of the united states where it's got really high traffic in terms of places like la where the traffic is absolutely crazy i know when i went there many years ago getting from the airport to the quote-unquote city center or the downtown or the place where i was staying in a hostel took a long long time even in a car because there's traffic absolutely everywhere it's absolutely chocker block so it's absolutely crazy so that's the big thing they wanted to try and solve with the boring company build these tunnels and essentially the idea behind it was that you could drive under these tunnels at really high speeds and it will connect you to like major points like so you go from like one at one side of la to the other side of la and you wouldn't be stuck in traffic because there'd be a continuous stream of cars going through this tunnel at breakneck speeds and whatever it may be but then obviously when it but when it kind of um evolved and kind of went further that what i actually liked about it was this idea which i've got here on screen which is the idea of having these little carts these little mini kind of van things that were obviously um, battery powered electric cars that you could then jump in if you weren't driving your own car to speed around and also the ability to kind of jump in a regular car i guess what they wanted to do was to cover obviously stop um you know um pollution and whatnot it would only be electric cars evs so you couldn't go in there with a petrol or gas car makes complete sense and then of course the idea behind it was to use the self-driving system so that would somehow click and connect once you are you're in a tunnel and it'll take you at a particular speed all the way into the top and you can basically sit back and relax while you enjoy your ride and kind of go up whatever it may be but the reality of the situation has been a little bit um underwhelming and so far from what we've seen of the boring company they've kind of created this little vegas loop that takes you from one side i think of vegas to the other during convention times and whatnot which is kind of helpful i guess but it's not really what we kind of were promised in terms of this um great idea that was going to somehow alleviate traffic going from major cities wherever it may be so this is quick little TikTok somebody put together that was available from the morning brood I'm going to play that briefly describes the experience of jumping in the boring company um, tunnels um, via the Vegas loop and see what that experience is like. I'm going to play it now so you can hear it. This is the Vegas loop, Elon's answer to traffic. It's going to save 
about 15 minutes or 20 minutes of walking. I'm gonna show you what that looks like. We take the escalators downstairs and pick up a Tesla. This is the central station. So this is what the Vegas Loop by Boring and Tesla looks like. Going west? Yep, you can go to number two. Awesome, thank you. Howdy. Sir, how you doing? Good. boy. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna ride with these two people. Right? Perfect. Hi, how's it going? And here's our car. There we go. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, how's it going? Good, good. Cool, cool. Surviving it? Or just starting. <laughs> No. I, I would love this actually. Yes. <laughs> this job. Oh yeah. I love the awesome. time. Happy oh, rainbow lights. Like, yeah. Amazing. Just like that, you said a 20 minute walk. Just like that. Just like that. Love it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Our vehicles will go down. And they go down into the loop. By far one of the coolest things at CES. One of the things that you're gonna see the most on TikTok and Instagram probably this year. And obviously the reaction to it hasn't been the great. It's just looking at the morning brew tweet here. The first look of the Vegas suit by a boring company in Tesla seems much less efficient than having a subway system. Another person in the comments writes here, it's obviously less efficient than the subway system. Um, but this week I rode it twice at CES and they were churning a lot of people through and there was never any long lines. The driver told me there were something like 250 to 300 cars they use in this thing. Um, the subway except you have to make an awkward small talk someone says here less time and resource efficient than mass transit not green environmentally good saves half of the curse good efficient for whoever wants to make tesla so it's like tunnels that many cities already have but it's tiny whoa okay so clearly the response from it hasn't been the greatest but i feel like the original idea was pretty cool and there was a good premise behind it in terms of having all these um, tunnels that you could basically build on top of each other that were basically endless and there was an opportunity to, to alleviate all the traffic up above because you know roads are still going to be there but having the option to have another route to go from like major points from like north to south south to east wherever it may be would be somewhat great but i think a lot of this has to do with the sentiment around elon i think in general over the last what 18 months maybe more his reputation with people has really suffered to the point where people are looking at the things that he does, listen to the things that he says, and they're kind of questioning it all. Like, where's this genius person that we've all been told to believe is, like, who is that person? It's not the person we're seeing on screen. It's not the person we're seeing arguing with people on Twitter or firing people or whatever he's doing. So clearly, that public sentiment has kind of not helped the reputation or perception of some of the projects he's doing which i think this company the boring company might be one of his most important maybe next to spacex in terms of what it's actually going to do in terms of changing humanity for the better in the future and again i'm a little bit of um i'm a little bit naive in that way and maybe i have my rose tinted you know elon tesla glasses on but i think those two are probably i would put even above tesla in terms of what they can do in terms of wider reaching or far-reaching impact going forward but unfortunately when it comes to legislation when it comes to building tunnels in the first place in these different states and getting permits to do certain things and risk and whatever it may be it's just something that i think a lot of companies or a lot of cities and towns aren't really necessarily willing to take a chance on even though 
if they did actually flesh it out and it ended up being what he initially spec'd out to be, I think it would still be a legitimately great idea. Legit, legit great idea. Because those original pods look really cool and interesting, a good way to kind of, you know, scoot people around town and get them to major points. The ability to have only EVs run underneath as well is amazing. But of course, the safety concerns in terms of, you know, having the tunnel be a certain shape and, you know, what if there's a crash and how to get people out is definitely something that hasn't been addressed. And, for whatever reason, he doesn't like to enter in that conversation, Elon. When it comes to stuff concerning Tesla's blowing up, you know, there's loads of issues with Tesla's, not loads, but there's been documented, you know, stories of Tesla cars basically blowing up and, you know, lighting themselves on fire based to with the batteries inside there. There was a really sad and tragic video. I think it was somewhere in China where a Tesla car, for whatever reason, um, went into I think he went into autopilot or something where he basically started speeding down this really quiet um, village street and smashed into people smashed into things before it kind of smashed into a wall and kind of came to a standstill but I think somebody may have died I think so but the video was gnarly because that car is tearing through this little village it's going you know probably over 100 miles per hour it's going really fast so these things happen a lot and I think a recent story was that there was a Tesla that was um, driving I think self-driving and I think the driver wasn't paying attention because I think when you're self-driving, it always tells you you have to kind of keep your hand in the steering wheel. You have to be attention. You have to pay attention so that you can take over if the you know self-driving malfunctions. The person didn't take over, and you know whatever it may be. And I guess whenever it gets an, an error in the self-driving, it somehow will stop, so it can kind of you know avoid any issues. But if it stops in the middle of a freeway and a motorway, it's not a good idea. So I remember seeing a video where it stops, I think, under a bridge or something, on the, in a tunnel somewhere. And then obviously all these cars are coming in and piling in behind it. Um, I think which then led to a really serious injury for a two-year-old and whatnot. So it's always a little bit concerning when that stuff happens. And for whatever reason, maybe it's legal, probably it's legal, I would assume. Elon is very hesitant to not to talk about stuff. He talks about everything else. He's on there talking about, you know, pay me eight bucks for my Twitter blue and ranting and raving about, you know, woke people and political ideas and ideologies and culture war stuff. But when it comes to discussing stuff about Teslas and whatnot, he is oddly, oddly mute, especially when they run into issues. He doesn't, he doesn't say a word. And um, maybe that's kind of, you know, not really helping things. But overall, I think the boring company is a good idea. I think there is definitely some scope in it. But like I said, I think a lot of his antics online, his desire to be famous, um, his real kind of, you know, addiction to fame, similar to Jordan Peterson, he's on that kind of lane where he's just, you know, I don't know what it is about these guys when they're in the middle age and they become super famous where they just can't let go of that need for attention is maybe not really helping him in the slightest when it comes to his projects outside of things because that could also you would imagine maybe impact some people's decision making process when it comes to even agreeing to giving them a deal in the first place who knows but either way i was just thinking about it earlier today and i thought it was quite interesting to see that video and see the reaction from people online who basically weren't impressed in the slightest with the boring company and there are some people out there who are generally questioning if elon musk is actually as smart as people have led us to believe he is but hey what do we know what do we know Next up, we want to talk about this really, really funny story regarding Greta Thunberg, who was detained at a German coal protest, right? This went viral, obviously, across social media. I'm sure most of you have seen this. I'll quickly read the article. It says, um, climate campaigner Greta Thunberg has a ma was among those briefly detained by police at a protest in Western Germany. She was protesting with activists seeking to stop the abandoned village of Lert Lutzeref. Was that how to say it? Lutzeref. Lutzeref, Lutzeref, from being demolished for an expansion of the coal mine. 
They're going to demolish an abandoned village. If it's abandoned, why does it matter? I guess that's probably the wrong question to ask if you're a climate activist, right? I do apologize. Let's continue. Police clarified that Miss Farnberg had not been arrested and later she had been released on after an identity check. So clearly enjoying all this because this was shared all over the place on social media. The picture of her being carried away by the Polizei over there in Germany, um, you know, with her feet up in the air, smiling and just with a big grin and enjoying every single moment of attention because clearly in this world, you can't do any good deed unless the press and the media are involved because if it's, it's like a, a common adage out there, right? if a tree falls, and no one heard that did the tree actually fall did the tree actually fall it continues the swedish um activist was detained after a group rushed towards the ledge of the gar weld a uh, gars gars wheeler to mine okay well man mad name officers also confirmed that all of those detained would not be charged so they were just taking them away they'll cause much of a ruckus stay over there let the guys do their work and demolish this abandoned village and then we're going to go back to everything right um let's let frack in peace <laughs> video from the scene showed three officers carrying miss dunberg and protests as she smiled police also told reuters news agency that one man jumped into the mine which was okay so <laughs> jesus christ someone jumped into the mine that's her obviously in the back of the bus with a thumb up activists urging so I argue burning coal mines undermined Germany's effort to reduce the greenhouse emissions. The government also pledged to bring forward a phase out of the coals in the North Rhine Westphalia. I wonder if I wonder if looking at this picture of her, looking at the at the back of the bus, right? She's kind of the cutest picture I think I've, I've seen of her online, because she generally, you know, doesn't look the most photogenic in the world. But I do wonder, is there ever gonna be a time in life where Greta Thunberg is gonna be on vogue? Is she going to get like plus up with makeup and shit and they're going to put her in like pretty girl clothes? I wonder if that would ever happen, if that's going to, if that's a future coming up. Because I remember that happened with um, that girl, Tavi Genson. Do you remember her? Tavi Gev Jevonson? I think her name was like Style Rookie. Uh, she was like a really influential influencer in fashion back in the day when she was like 13 or something, right? And she always looked really quirky and weird looking and kind of, you know, had like old lady clothes on and just was having fun with fashioning. You know, it was funny because she was always pissing people off because I think that's the same time that Brian Boy came on the scene. So imagine going to a fashion show and you're one of the established um, media partners and you're in the, you know, you're part of the established fashion industry and you're a bit, you know, snotty and a bit highfalutin and a bit up your own ass. And, you know, you clearly think a lot of yourself, even though you don't do nothing, you just write words about clothes that you don't design. And then you see some little spotty teenager which um tabby genson was star rookie at the time sitting front row with a crazy hat on wearing yellow you know a yellow skirt with pink socks and weird trainers and next to her is flipping brian boy you know staring at his reflection every two seconds it would probably piss you off in it but there was a moment where it kind of it felt like you know that fashion would make sense for a girl that age going through whatever she's going through finding her identity blah 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 and then it got to a point where she got older and she started to become pretty she started to become hot looking she tried to kind of look like a conventional you know young lady her age that's into the stuff that she's into would look would look like and if i'm not mistaken last time i checked about her she's in gossip girl actually i don't know who she plays because i don't watch gossip girl but i saw that she's an actual actress now an actor out there which is pretty a sick transition right from going from being this um uh fashion influencer at a really young age then i remember she built this platform yeah she built like a like a man repeller type um teenage fashion thing that talk spoke about it, mental health and 
you know, um, coming into yourself and stuff and whatnot. It was a real cool little platform for kids at that time and loads of really great writing in it. And then, of course, she then transitioned to be an actor. So I wonder, is there an arc, is there a story arc in the Greta Thunberg story where she gets prettied up, she gets put in Vogue, she gets put in W Magazine, she's, you know, at the flipping Met Gala and, you know, rubbing shoulders with all the flipping highfalutin people out there and being part of the 1%. I wonder if that's a thing or is she really going to live that life until the end of time where she's flipping, taking buses everywhere and not going on planes or walking or hitchhiking or riding a bike everywhere and not washing her hair and shit. I wonder if that's the case. I really do wonder. But anyway, the video of her getting arrested is hilarious because there's two accounts of it now. One account is saying that she got arrested and it was a big deal and never kind of saying it was all a big media stunt. So this is the official line um, that courtesy of the BBC that's shown her getting escorted off the court and I'm going to play now. How many press people are there actually? Hold on, let me rewind that back. Look at the amount of press that are there anyway. I guess it's all of them wearing the jackets, right? Police officers, some of them police, okay. The ones wearing high vis jackets are the police and media. Look how many of them there are. That's more than the actual protesters, no? There's around four there. Five or five, right? That's insane amount of press. There's a somebody there with a with a with a with a flipping what's it retractable boom mic, right? Crazy. That's her being pulled away by two police guys. They got the biggest and tallest police officers to pull her away because she's not a small girl. She's pretty tall for a girl herself to drag her away, right? Funny. Look at her. Anyway, the official video that's come out, courtesy of this ins this Twitter account from a guy called Ian Miles Chong, who I always see on flipping, you know, Twitter and stuff, this flipping, you know, this face only a mother could love. And for whatever reason, if I'm not mistaken, he's not even from America, but for some reason he's super plugged in and obsessed and cares about covering stuff that concern, you know, culture war issues, ideolo ideologically based issues and whatnot. Stuff to do with, you know, colleges and woke politics and all that sort of nonsense. He's really plugged into it, even though he's not American in the slightest. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. He's not even from there. He doesn't live there, if I'm not mistaken. And he just, you know, for some reason, he's the outlet for all this sort of stuff. But anyway, this is a video showing what actually happened. And it features Greta Thunberg standing there with two police officers while the media people take pictures. That's basically what's happening here. <laughs> you also want those pretty men? She's they're taking pictures of her as she's standing there in between two police officers who are holding her arms. Not handcuffed or anything either, by the way. Why are they zooming into a Nike bag? She's not allowed to wear a Nike bag. Come on, guys, relax. So they stand there, let, 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 let it's what? Okay, so it's obviously not as crazy as a picture that initially leads the story and the bbc makes it look at it's clearly a bit more you know calculated than that but this shouldn't be a surprise for people like nothing is ever what it seems don't believe anything i think i've said it for a minute one on this pod especially in 2023 you should go into everything it doesn't matter how serious the allegations are just not believing people because people are full of shit myself included yourself included i know i know myself me personally i'm full of the most shit i talk the most shit this platform is 
specifically for me to talk shit so that I don't go crazy. So if I know I talk shit, how much more for the people who have, you know, dreams and aspirations to become famous, who have brands that they want to promote or things that they want to push forward or a lifestyle they want to maintain or to reach in the first place? What do you think they will do in order to do that? Of course, they'll go there and invent a lie, invent a fib or two, because stories are fun. Stories are interesting. And to the, for the most part, no one really gives a crap about the, the truth, unless it obviously, in, you know, has to involve law, law enforcement or something. For the most part, people don't care about if your story, if it's real or fake. So people need to come with more evidence. They need to come with more facts. They need to come with more proof if they want you to believe them. But again, it's not their responsibility to do so because, you know, tell your story, share it, whatever it may be. But in general, everyone's full of shit, especially in the media. It's all a big game. Greta Thunberg is doing it, especially being, what is she, like 18, 19 years of age? Come on, man. She's grown up on the internet. She knows how to use it better than anybody. So even if she is a climate activist and environmentalist, she's definitely got to make sure that she, you know, uses those mediums to push her message forward. And also don't be mistaken or don't be naive enough to think there isn't some shadowy figure in the background also, you know, pulling the strings and pressing the buttons in the back, you know, like somebody financing these sort of things or, co you know, um, consulting or whatnot. It's all occurring in the background for sure. I don't doubt it in the slightest, but big up her anyway for at least living her raps in some extent even if it is a bit fake and a bit flimsy it's still better than nothing considering most of us out there myself included aren't doing anything but scratching our proverbial balls and then continuing on from that one there's this story courtesy of ra regarding the security guards at london o2 brixton academy that i don't know man i'm a little bit iffy about because i feel like this is they're going extra hard in identifying all these issues that happened in O2 Brixton Academy that led to the tragic death, of course, of those two young uh, people that were there at the concert. I think one person was 33, one person was at like 23. Like, awful, awful way to go out. Absolutely tragic. But I feel like this new story about the security guards taking bribes feels, feels a little bit convenient and also feels a little bit selective because there's been plenty other venues across the UK who have had the same if not worse issues happening in their establishments their license gets taken away as per usual because there's the only option or solution that local governments and local councils and police have in terms of rectifying and sorting out issues at events there is no you know um, consultation or workshops or whatever to kind of get things back up and running where they need to be it's just remove license and then the place gets turned into a co-working space and then we're all crying but that just happens and it goes away but for some reason they're now starting to identify all of these issues inside of the framework of the club that kind of maybe led to the overcrowding and the craziness happening outside and i feel like it's got a tinge of racism attached to it again i'm not somebody that throws around the race card most of you guys listen to me on this podcast will know this to be the truth but considering the o2 academy brixton was in an area that's predominantly black and it usually was staffed by a lot of black and brown people this way that they're going super hard in identifying these issues and saying the security guards get got bribes and all this sort of stuff even though i would imagine it probably would be true it still feels like a selective you know investigation into this issue when other events have been or other venues have been able to just you know do a madness not have all this kind of stuff labeled on them not have these people digging in so deep license get taken away and just continue on it feels a little bit selective for me i'm a little bit annoyed but i'm not gonna lie even though the last podcast i said i was surprised to see 
that it was closed until April, I think, because O2 Academy is going to be closed until April, if I'm not mistaken, to help with the assisting of the police investigation with the two people that passed away. And I thought, okay, that's really surprising considering it's owned by AMG and whatnot. And Live Nation maybe has probably got their fingers in it also that they would kind of, you know, be willing to close it for that long. And the fact that most likely when they do reopen, even with all these investigations in place, I'm pretty sure when I come back on this podcast again and speak about this, I bet you any money that O2 Academy Brixton will not get their license taken away from them. They may have it kind of suspended for a while again. Maybe it might go into the, maybe it might go into fall into like October times, but I don't believe it's ever going to get suspended to the point where they have to shut it down. I bet you any money that won't happen because of who's behind it and who's backing it. But they're doing all this performance stuff to make it look like they're caring and they're investigating it. But again, I think it's a little bit tinge of racism, but maybe I'm really being a little bit OTT. The article says as follows, let's go. Security staff at iconic London venue O2 Academy Brixton often took bribes to allow people without tickets a whistleblower told the BBC, which I think happens in every single venue. Every single venue that's in demand for the most part, having worked in various retail stores with various security guards who are usually the nicest people in the world, even though they look really intimidating, especially our London bouncers, because they have to work in various amounts of places with various different people all around the world and whatnot. And for the most part in the UK, even though there is a lot of kind of, you know, separate separatism or whatever no there's a lot of scenes that are separate for the most part we do kind of blend in all together sometimes in shops and stores so you get to meet different type of people all the time so you get to know how to act with different people so for the most part i feel like security guards are usually the best in terms of social you know surroundings they're like chameleons because they basically adapt to every scenario they're in because they have to maybe you know treat or act a certain way based on where they are working and without a doubt, every security, every store, especially when I used to work retail, every store I worked in, every security guard would share the same story about how much they hated New Year's Eve, how much they hated Halloween, and all these other public events, but also how they couldn't turn down those gigs because they're so lucrative. You'd get girls giving you money and offering you sexual favors in exchange to go in. You'd have boys doing the same things and drugs and whatnot. It was crazy. You'd hear so many stories from bouncers saying, yeah, this is a thing that happens all the time. Everyone knows it and you can make big, big bank. Um, obviously, some places are really strict and don't want anybody doing any of that sort of stuff. But some places, if you are willing to kind of bend the rules, you know, you can, of course, get some, you know, cheeky envelopes or a cheeky little, you know, 50 notes slipped into your back pocket or whatnot. Maybe your front pocket because your back pocket might be a bit sus but you know what i mean so the fact that they're pinning this all on to academy bricks and this nonsense this happens everywhere even with the venues with all the white ears and the chelsea lots and the oi oi's essex banter guys it happens everywhere but anyway it continues the security guard who has worked at the venue explained how members of his team would let a couple hundred extra people through the doors in exchange for cash with some making up to one thousand pound a night he also insisted that the employer ap security was aware of the practice the news comes after a crowd crush at a concert in afrobeats artist asake on december the 15th two people rebecca ukwamelo and gabby hutchinson died in the days after the incident when you let a few people in they will text their friends and they'll text their friends, the whistleblower says. And the bouncer started being greedy and it got out of hand and people wanted to come in anyway without a ticket. And you can train someone to the max, but when this happens in front of you, you actually stop. You freeze. The BBC report follows the news that Yoto Academy remained closed until April. A shy concert ended early after lunchtime. People tried to enter the venue. Once you saw the Guardian, it was a mostly, it was the most poorly organized thing they've ever seen. To be fair, you know, like I said, I've, I've had many crowd issues outside of Yoto Academy Brixton just because of the way it's shaped and how the entry looks and out and whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is a little bit 
little bit selective, whatever it may be. But I guess if you, you know, considering two people pass away, then probably needs to do everything they can to make sure they attribute the blame to the right people. There's probably a lot of money on the line also, so I can understand the need to get it right. But I don't know, man. I hope when this happens, oh, no, I hope. Let's take that back. We don't want it to happen anywhere else. But if it does happen, then I want to see the same energy if they apply to venues where there's a few more whiteies on the blow and not black people drinking magnums. Okay, let's just attribute these things evenly to against each other. But, you know, it's obviously not going to happen that way. But, you know, one man can hope one man can hope. Next story here, which I thought was pretty interesting, was this courtesy of RA again about a rave show happening on BBC Radio 1 Extra, which if you don't know by the picture is the BBC radio station predominantly made for the blacks, myself included, right? People that look like myself, they made us a particular uh, or, or specific BBC radio station that plays the music that we kind of like it because stuff is going to make you go doom, 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 which is always funny to me. I've never listened to it once in my entire life. I'm not going to lie. I don't really listen to radio at all in the slightest, but I thought the story was pretty cool. It says BBC Radio 1 Extra has launched a weekly show dedicated to black dance music culture, hosted by Jeremiah Asayama. Is that how you say his name? Is that, is that Ghanaian, I think? Jeremiah Asayama. The first episode of BBC Radio Show was broadcast last Friday, January 13th. The slot will cover genres such as Ama Piano, House, UK Garage, Jungle, Rave, and Drum and Bass. Calling it a rave show when this does genres is interesting, isn't it? Because I wouldn't describe this as rave music. Maybe Jungle. I don't know. Anyway, it continues. Um, Asamaya um, is best known as the host of Extras One Get Lit Mix, which runs straight after the rave show. The British Ghanaian DJ, see, I knew it was Ghanaian, broadcaster and producer started out, started out as Brixton Station Represent Radio. Oh, Represent Radio. <laughs> Extra's rave show is the latest attempt to highlight dance music's black roots and reconnected the club scene with more diverse audiences. Last year, the Mobile Awards introduced a best electronic dance category for the first time, following criticism for its lack of dance music representation. I wish there was just less onus put on all this. As much as I think it's important to know your history, definitely is. I wish there was more onus just put on actually creating new and interesting memories with what we have now and i think the introduction of ama piano that kind of legit real energy that was coming out of africa especially south africa when it first started popping off was sick because we'll get to see like black people in nightclubs dancing to what you would traditionally call you know electronic music that you would traditionally maybe see with a white face in like you know places like dc10 or whatnot um circo loco vibes but then you're seeing black people dancing and it's a particular sort of beat particular kind of rhythm them. obviously it kind of died a slow death similar to that afro beats because everything started sounding the same and it's kind of become a bit tired maybe it needs to become like a second third wave of it to kind of spruce it up a bit but i feel like the genre the music itself is what propelled people to be like oh wow this is interesting there's this thing going on to a point where even myself i was considering going to south africa just to go and see what it's like the vibe there and be actually you know on the dance floors with people that actually live and breathe that shit daily and see what it's like similar to when i go to berlin and listen to techno in the place where it kind of popped off and is doing great things over there so i think concentrate more on the art and on the music will go a long way to re-establishing those roots or those connections of dance music, electronic music with black people and black history. This whole like, oh, let's educate you by having shows and sitting down with people and reminiscing about things and bemoaning the fact that there's not enough black people on certain lamps is, I don't know, it's a bit boring, a bit tired for me. It doesn't really do anything in terms of changing the actual face of things out there. Because like I said plenty of times, 
it's not even an issue representation wise on lineups it's less an issue to do with race i feel like it's more just an issue overall in terms of just being boring and being stale and being the same formulaic thing like we see all the time every four to five years there's a crop of djs that everyone kind of hypes over and gets excited for they get rinsed and they get plastered on every single venue everyone gets tired of them and they kind of turn off of them because they get forced in your face too much then another group of people come through and it's the same thing same thing but very rarely do you see the crowds that they play to being reflected on the on the lineup so i said it before like tomorrowland and all these other edm festivals look at the amount of scantily clad hot girls on instagram wearing fishnets and leather and whatnot who you know maybe go there just to go show off but they're clearly also interested in the music you don't go and travel to belgium to these festivals i think i think tomorrowland's in belgium you don't travel to these places just to go and you know shake your ass obviously that might help but you also go because you love the music but how many of those girls do you see playing on that stage that look like that? Not many, right? So it's, and, and the stage, the, sorry, the crowd, if you look at those festivals, they're quite, you know, there's a lot of diversity there of people, whether they're different types of white people, whether they're different, you know, genders and whatnot, or how they identify in terms of sexuality and whatnot. They're different people in the crowd, but they're not really effective on the lineups. And that's the main issue. It's about getting the crowds and to be somewhat congruent, which is not really, it doesn't really work that way too much. I'm not sure what, why that is the case. Obviously, it's a gatekeeper thing, but again, all these conversations and talks and stuff, it just, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily go anywhere for me, but hey, what do I know? Extra's Rave Show is the latest attempt to highlight Dance with the Black Roots. I've told you already. New collective Black Electronic Music Association, Beamer, was instrumental in instigating this change. Speaking of resident advisor, Helena, Stark, Helena Star, Nick's, Hannah Shogbola, the Jaguar, had said that their long-term goal is to create an independent black radio, an independent black electronic dance awards. Okay, that's a pretty good idea, I guess. Um, the funny thing is, is like, <laughs> is like, imagine pitching this idea to have this show on BBC One Extra and being the person that says no. This is always going to get put through. No one's ever going to say no to a show like this, right? Imagine being a BBC One radio um, show director and saying no to a show that establishes other roots. What does it say here? Um, uh, yeah, to highlight the dance music's roots in black. No, sorry, highlight dance music's black roots and recreate the club scene with more diverse audiences. Imagine being a person at BBC One or Radio One Extra One that said, um, no, I'm not going to do that. So it's always going to happen. Do you know what I mean? So it's not that big of a deal. Gee, is that the boy? Let's see. Let's play the video of him actually announcing the show here. I think that's him, right? So now Jeremiah Sire, Miss Miss Sire. A new show has come to One Extra, and it's all about champion. Yo, why do all these guys sound the same? Like this, regardless of what race they are, right? Which way they swing, where they're from in the UK, they all have the same voice. Is that just a radio voice? Do I have like a podcast voice? I'm not too sure. Maybe I do have. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But that voice is wild, isn't it? Like. <laughs> where do they where do you get how do you train yourself to speak like that can afternoon welcome to the rave show we have on the phone line mr jeff mills jeff what inspired you to make the bells music and dance amazing you're my idol it's like yo this way of talking is wild let's play this again let's go black dance culture and we call this the one extra rave show with me jeremiah asiyama every single friday night oh it's asiyama jeremiah asiyama so expect to hear genres like jungle okay too much copyright music but you get the gist it looks pretty cool it looks pretty fun um you know check it out if you dare 
is there on the screen. BBC One of One Extra, BBC One Extra Rave Show. Oh, that's him. So it looks very different, isn't it? Um, but yeah, big up the show, big up them. Do your thing. Hopefully it works out and all that galaki. Hopefully it works out and all that galaki. Another good thing I wanted to quickly mention, which I also want to highlight, which I think is really important and really cool, even though I wasn't that encouraging about it when it first was announced, I feel like having been engrossed in the scene over the last 18 months, way more than I was prior, especially going to all these kind of really small offshoot, um, you know, queer LGBTQ nights that are really fun, even though I'm probably not the you know i'm definitely not the target market who they're kind of you know advertising these parties for being a hetero normative cisgendered male i still have great times going to these raves because they're legitimately some of the better parties that they have that we have here in london these smaller type of events that cater to a particular demographic of people like that i'm loving it i'm loving it, i'm loving it and i'm also starting to understand how important these places are in terms of creating or providing a quasi safe space which is you know an often you know debate your term does safe space actually exist what's the point of a utopia when you've got creatures and monsters living amongst us whatever whatever but regardless as i say previously in all times i think representation in dance music electronic music is not really race it's all it's widespread it's basically the issue that i have mostly is that very rarely do the crowds reflect are reflective of the lineups it's always kind of just like top down talking to you. It's always like these same established old fogey types or the same people that they kept repeating and rinsing, you know, over five years. But it's not really reflective of the people that are actually in the crowd, the young, viral, um, you know, uh, positive energy that are people that are going to these kind of events isn't reflected. But one place there is are these events that are kind of you could describe, I'll describe as the alternative ones, the ones that are, you know, uh, targeting queer people, LGBTQ folks, trans folks non-binary folks women those are the ones i feel like do a real good job of reflecting the lineups with the crowd as in you know, one of the same it's an actual real community also i love that thing and one good example of it is this festival called risen it says here london festival risen reveals 80 plus artists for 2023 return to multiple venues in hackney week on april 1st the event continues with policy of booking women trans and non-binary acts which is pretty cool i think at first when i spoke about it I was more so along the lines of like, you know, of course, if you came here and said there was an all-male festival, it'd go absolutely balmy if you just put those people on there, right? You had flipping, you know, Eats Everything, um, you had, uh, you know, all those kind of folks playing Jamie Jones and Martinez Brothers and whatnot. And then I was thinking, actually, that's every week. Every other week in some lineup somewhere, in some club in Europe, those guys are playing on lineups, so it's just all dudes. So if there's somebody willing to put on a festival and put their money where their mouth is and have all been playing and showing it's a viable option that actually makes money or maybe breaks even and it has people going to it that's actually a good thing because this industry is flipping annoying right no one actually backs anything you know that they actually speak about they all want kind of you know diversity and whatnot but they don't actually implement it in their lineups or they give diversity lineups to like shitty days or shitty nights in a week that they don't really want to promote or push too much or it's just one token thing happened in like black history month or whatnot whatever else nonsense it may be but it's not nothing that they really put any energy with but if it's profitable, if it's, you know, virally successful, if it gets clicks and views on social media, if it makes money, all this stuff, they'll definitely jump on it. So I think this is a good template or good, like, you know, opportunity to prove the concept. So it's, a, yeah, it's a good proof of concept, this event. But hey, 
we've got a festival we're putting together it's specifically um a festival where the lineup is going to consist of people that are women trans and non-binary those are those are our main target and again you know i'm sure there's going to be some occasions where they might have to kind of be flexible but for the most part that's where you all your energy is being put into finding the best of the best in those categories in those you know in, you know in those groups of people and and basically providing with a platform to go and play to a captive audience and you know hacking is very progressive and forward thinking and open in that way so definitely it would work i would imagine so it continues um, here it says returning to multiple venues across Hackney Wick, which is a pretty decent idea. Having them dotting around different places at like the Color Factory and whatnot, and a few other places. Um, it says on April the first, the Day Festival continues with its policy of booking women trans and non-binary acts. Their slots for Emerald, Helena Star, Paramita, Lakuti, Michelle Manti, Raw Silk, Tama Sumo, Taylor Jar, Scarlett O'Malley, and Lena Wilkins. Oh, really, really eager to see her play. Um, some of the crews and collective taking part will be bloom femme fresh house of carda the color factory the yard courtyard um crepe brewing all my friends are among the venues being used so these are all venues that are legitimately within a five minute walk of each other so it's a pretty sick event i'm not gonna lie risen is presented and programmed they're marketed by the women team members of london promote to percolate and the event will also offer opportunities for non-males in areas of industry that have historically been male dominated such as sound engineering lighting and venue operations the aim is to for this entire festival to be non to be staffed to be non-male which is pretty funny and a crazy way to go about things because you'd imagine these areas such as um what is it called sound engineering lighting and venue operations it's not very much a i wouldn't say it's a male dominated industry as opposed to it's more so of an industry that males tend to gravitate towards i don't think there's many sound engineers out there that are women or trans or non-binary just because they don't want to do it i would imagine but the good thing with these festivals and this platform is that you get a chance to either disprove that comment that I made or you get a chance to offer up a different solution, right? A different alternative, or you get to, a chance to propose something different. And, you know, maybe just having the option out there will change things like similar. I think of it similar to those, um, those skate parks they set up in parts of Africa. I think there's a particular account I follow on Twitter. I think it might be in Ghana or Cameroon. I forgot which one it is. Maybe it's Ghana, maybe it's Cameroon. Maybe Cameroon. There's a particular um, foundation and they set up a skate park in those countries and you obviously you know you get you give access to these local kids who don't have much to skate and whatnot and suddenly these kids become flipping really good skateboarders and get really engrossed in skateboarding culture but if they hadn't built that skate park they maybe have never got into it so sometimes it is just a point of access like i'd be having the ability to kind of access those things have it readily available and now suddenly you're in a mindset of getting it. and i know for me personally you know having been obsessed and in love with electronic music and dance music and nightclub culture for the longest time the thing that got me involved or got me kind of you know on it was going to events all the time and seeing people that look like myself maybe playing behind the decks or maybe seeing people that i just loved and appreciated as artists regardless of their gender or race and wanting to emulate and do that myself or see people put on events that i wanted to do myself all those things kind of got my brain kind of racing and then i went out and did my thing and whatnot and of course you know i'm resourceful i'm kind of um, self-sufficient i don't really need any help or assistance that way but there's some people out there that do need their handheld they do need maybe an introduction they do need a quote-unquote safe space to ask questions to inquire whatever it may be so that they can maybe get into an area that they maybe wouldn't have got into because it looked a bit intimidating I, maybe it's a little bit similar kind of picture in my head to that scene in the gym you know when you're in the gym and there's like a girl coming to the area where you're at the free weights and you can clearly see she wants to use the weights but she's a bit uncomfortable because it's all dudes and 
we're not saying anything, but I guess everyone's energy just vibes around. She just turns around and goes somewhere else. Whereas if there was maybe one person there could be like, hey, don't worry, come, what do you want to do? And just kind of talking her through, suddenly she'd feel comfortable enough to kind of work out there. So sometimes that little arm around the shoulder can make all the difference. So this is the proverbial arm around the shoulder. So who knows? Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But I like that they're putting their money where their mouth is. Because for all the people out there talking about, oh, we want to do, um, you know, diversity in the lineups. There's not many black people in the lineups, all that sort of nonsense. Where's Where are they putting on festivals with all black lineups? Where's that happening? Right? Everyone's talking a big game about that. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? You know, set up this event. It's not cheap. The, the stuff is not going to be free, regardless of how um, egalitarian and you know woo woo your ideas are. No one's going to let you you know rent a venue for free or equipment. So they're paying this out of their own pocket and they're doing it. They're putting their money where their mouth is. So I'm all for it. I'm definitely rooting for them. And I would like to see people who again are on this whole like let's see more black and brown people behind the booth to do the same thing. Put on an event where you only have black and brown people playing on the lineup. Try that out. Let's see what happens, isn't it? Let's see if it works or not. Proof your concept. And you never know. If it becomes successful, suddenly you've got fucking all these companies like AS and Nike wanting to fucking sponsor you and slap a fucking Red Bull logo on your flyer. Do you know what I mean? It changes so quickly like that. But anyway, we move. It says here. We feel so lucky to be organizing an event which will have an ethos or what's it? Which has an ethos so close to our hearts, says co-founder Kitty Bartlett Alice Franklin. I know Kitty. I worked with her a long time ago. Big up Kitty. It says last year's events was an incredibly, sorry, last year's events was an incredible day of love and unity across Hackney Wicks dance floors with an ecstatic energy. Year one was incredible and we've been overwhelmed with the interest in Risen and how many people want to be part of year two. Sick. Continue to build the community, attendees, artists and behind the scenes and provide a space to celebrate the divine feminine they added that it's always been super important for us when we first started conceptualizing this event risen as a joint effort from everyone involved so thanks to all her support and being involved divine feminine energy is here to stay and as you can see in the lineup here loads of big artists i think everyone here in bold is probably all the big names that they want people to kind of see and get excited about ticket wise you know just to kind of note the flyer is really nice. I like the flyer. I'm not going to lie. I like the logo. So the big names, obviously, I already mentioned. Althea, obviously, I'm a big fan of. That I know of. Lena Wilkins, I'm a big fan of. Lakuti, Tamasoma, the usual Paramida. The ones that we all kind of vaguely know. But I'm sure there's others that people are going to be excited for and fill in. And, you know, as per usual, these type of events, the the next group of people that want to be seen next year will be there again and they'll get inspired and it'll go on and on and on. So rooting for them. Hope it works out. And hopefully this is an example to all that you should put your money where your mouth is and talk bloody less next about talking less and about showing and proving a really interesting really interesting collaboration has just been announced that's been all over my side of social media regarding Cortez and nike and this just got announced randomly which is a quite a cool way to do it um i think some kid initially shared it on tiktok i think i've got a video of it here actually on via Vogue Business, somebody on TikTok refreshes actually, a kid on TikTok actually was walking around central London and saw um, the Cortez logo uh, being shone outside of Nike Town London, an iconic spot here in London and took a video of it and was bare surprised and shared it. And obviously there's a picture of Stormzy wearing some of the Cortez t-shirt and everyone went a bit crazy. And then the actual owner of the brand ended up posting it later. I thought that was quite nice. Like fans kind of caught on to it first and spreading the love and tagging and whatnot. And then soon after that, the actual founder and owner of the company himself, you know, put out his sort of official pictures and statements. And that was how it was announced. But this is the video courtesy of Vogue Business, which shows the kid talking about it here. I was in central London and I saw Hello. this. They don't put Cortez on the next door, fam. 
Bro, these lot are moving like Batman in Gotham City. Lethal lightings. Take it easy, man. Pretty cool, as you can see there. Pretty, pretty cool. So there's a collaboration happening with Cortez or Cortez, however you pronounce it. Um, Colt London-based streetwear brand Cortez is launching its first major collaboration with Nike. As you can see, there's a logo shone outside of the Nike Town Store here in London. There's some other extra pictures here showing... Um, oh no, there's a video here actually showing the little promotion for the collaboration that they have going on, which is pretty sick. If it's in the instrumental, the road deep track when I'm here, if I'm pretty sure, playing here in the background, which is pretty cool. I'll play it for you now. With a time lapse video or picture um, on the junction outside of Flipping Nike Town London that everyone should be familiar with, also. Loads of chases and fights and pranks and challenges have taken place at that fucking junction. Cues, many, many different things over the years. <laughs> so so far we've got no details actually on what's actually going to come from this collaboration but considering um what these guys do and what they're about you would imagine it would probably be a lot of um what do you call it it'll be a lot of tracksuits that sort of vibe um i'm hoping there's not a lot of americana type drip involved there i'm not really a fan when they do that sort of stuff maybe i'm talking about you know varsity jackets and shit i feel that stuff should be left to you know those guys over there but regardless the other tracks with some pieces they put out i think are pretty cool i like some of the t-shirts they do also the obviously the most interesting part of that them is definitely the drops and how they release things in a very um you know stealthy type of way but i do think there is some real avenue and real space to do something really interesting with this nike collaboration because i think it'll be one of the first times that you could do a collaboration like this with nike and it kind of be legit especially when it comes to tracksuits and whatnot because i think drake has his thing that he's got going on with um what's it called nocta right and um, with that's happening over there in toronto and canada and places but i feel like that's also a little bit of a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a thing that they kind of maybe copied from us here in London from tracksuit culture or maybe in Europe mostly. And I feel like we actually do it the best, even though Nocta's quite good. And obviously they've got their little drill scene out there or little, they've got a substantial drill scene out there that's doing big numbers clearly. But I feel like I would actually like to see our vision of a tracksuit be presented on the biggest and best platform ever when it comes to Nike. And when you think about the history of tracksuits, especially, you know, with regards to nike from back in the day there was a period in time especially in the early times of grime where there was a level of tracksuit that was higher than the ones you'd get at jd i don't know if they have them now it's the same thing maybe that nike tech suits are kind of similar and they kind of provide that same sort of vibe now going forward but there was a time back in the day where particular outfits that you had purchased or particular sorry tracksuits that you'd purchased from nike um would be of a certain level depending on where you bought them and sometimes guys would go out and buy a tracksuit from, you know, Footlocker, for instance, would have the higher level ones. And those are usually ones that were branded from like TN, like Tuned Air and some other bits and bobs. Or they'd have specific ones that they'd make Nike for Footlocker. They'd be Footlocker exclusives. And their tracksuits would be like cash money. Back in the day, it'd be like, I don't know, 150 pounds or something, right? And imagine a regular tracksuit that you'd get from like Little Woods catalog or from JD 
or from I forgot the other place as well. The boy you'd get tracksuits would be like I don't know under a hundred quid. Just suddenly see a tracksuit or just a jacket alone was like one twenty. You'd be like rah, you'd be mad. And then I remember there were some occasions where Nike would do a tracksuit, a full tracksuit, and a matching hat that came with the whole thing that you could wear all together that was always go for bucks and that's one that i remember all the drug dealers and whatnot all the scammers back in the day were copying because that's the only people that you'd see wearing this stuff in irl and then i think it only towards the end of the kind of grime renaissance or you know grime's kind of real big buzz i think that's when suddenly places like hackney market back in the day on that dog track where the church used to be and now where I think they've kind of demolished it all and it's kind of turned into Hackney Wick, isn't it? But there's an area of Hackney, if you know what I'm talking about, where the Olympic Park is, where there used to be a market there. There in Dawson, I remember towards the end of the Grand Times, maybe when I was six form or something, suddenly then fakes started to come in. And that's when a lot of the guys on my end who could not afford anything, who were bad, mad broke and whatnot, could suddenly start buying some stuff and feel like they kind of involved. Because before that, you only had straight JD, straight Nike. Nowadays, these kids got Taobao and stuff and AliExpress where you can probably buy tech suits and still feel involved. You still want to buy the real one eventually, but, you know, hard to get drippy and hard to get you know to kind of flex on these flipping hoes out here at that age when you didn't really have any money because the only places to buy actual tracksuits were the actual stop shops themselves i remember back in the day sports direct what was it called before was it jjb's or something i forgot the name of it what was called beforehand but they used to sometimes have the odd tracksuit here and there but it wasn't the great one it was just like a basic one you'd want the ones with like different panels or like 3m and whatnot 3m piping on the side you want all these different things going for it um when it comes to that but I'm hoping with this Cortez collaboration going forward, what they do is that they have maybe another renaissance and kind of try and remember the times and restore the feeling when it comes to retail. Because I do remember a lot of that experience was trying to go out and find these places like going to a Nike town outlet. Um, I don't know what was that place called? Um, I forgot somewhere near Central Line. There was an outlet you could go to there to go buy some certain bits and bobs that you could find off rack, off you know, off sale pieces or stuff that got discontinued or things that were like um, B grades or whatnot or had little errors from the factory you could probably buy and pick up random ACG stuff and Nike Sportswear stuff, Nike Blue Label back in the day. All those things were absolutely sick and were really important back then. So I could clearly see something like that going forward if they wanted to restore the feeling that way having activations around that maybe doing a pop-up store inside of a pop-up store maybe having little nike town things all over the place jotted around and shit that would be pretty sick shoe wise that would be the curious one they would i don't know thinking back on it there was a time when air max 95s were like the drug dealer shoe of choice so were 97s um, for a bit there was a 90s type as well but it was mostly air maxes i remember those were being the ones that were the drug dealer chic because they were always super expensive especially if you think of the tns the tls they were like 110 120 upwards i remember the tns and tls were the first shoe nike shoe that i remember that was like 140 150 from littlewood's catalogs and shit um or you could only buy them in particular stores maybe you go to meteor sports or something so maybe they'll go for that one but I do see the guy that found it, if I'm not mistaken. I do see him wearing a lot of Air Force Ones from time to time. So I don't know if maybe that will be the one to go for. Because that obviously is a popular shoe here in the UK, like it is everywhere else around the world. Especially most, you know, metropolitan cities. But I'd maybe like to see an interesting iteration or kind of, you know, uh, an interesting kind of 
job done on an Air Max One that maybe hasn't got a lot of love. Maybe pulling something from the archive. I can't think of one specifically, but I would like to see that maybe would be a way to go instead of going the regular Air Force One route or Air Max 90 route. Do you know what I mean? That might be a bit fresh. Because you look at the Pata Air Max One, and if you go to Amsterdam or you know anything about power, you know anything about the sneaker culture out there, the Air Max One's got a real special place in the hearts of people out there, similar to what we have at Air Max 90. I think Air Max 90s are definitely more of a London shoe than it is a, you know, an Amsterdam shoe. But that Pata Air Max One, that Wave One, worked really well, and even the ones prior, because the Air Max One is so linked to that city. And you would imagine Cortez going through what they're going through, you know, it would eventually probably have aspirations to be, you know, a, a store or a brand similar to what Pata means to Amsterdam in terms of what it represents, you know, from the quote-unquote streets, um, able to appeal to the masses also, the connection to youth culture, blah, 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 blah. So I'm interested to see what shoe they go with. Maybe they don't get a shoe. Maybe it's just a full clothing line. But I don't know if you're going to go to this trouble to put this bat signal up on, on the outside of a Nike store London. You would imagine it's going to be more than that. Um, you can quickly check out the Vogue article, which is a pretty good flex also to have a Vogue article written up about a collaboration that you have no actual details on. But I thought that was pretty cool. They say here on Monday night, large Cortez logo was projected on the outside of a Nike flagship store in London's Oxford Street. Passes by post on TikTok speculating that yet another Stunt from Cortez founder Clint 49 akin to his past guerrilla pop up movements on the streets of London and Paris. In fact, it was not a prank, it was a hint at what to come. Nike has confirmed the collaboration will launch in the coming months. Um, Cortez has been one of the one, what has been one of streetwear's biggest uh, disruptors since its launch in 2017 along with the unique elusive and innovative marketing strategy no drop is ever the same a tactic designed to keep the cult fan base engaged the pieces feature a distinctive alcatraz logo which represents rebellion against convention retail pieces range from 30 pound for t-shirts 125 for cargoes although in its infancy the brand was garnered celebrity backing including british rapper david central c a previous collaboration include nigerian streetwear label motherland and manchester-based rapper mix nike declined to share further information so it's official um, about the tie-up which follows this high-profile collaboration with the labels Estushi and Jack Moose it's definitely going to be better than Jack Moose one because that Jack Moose collaboration was fucking shit um, but we expect to what we can expect okay cool we don't know what's going on they don't want more information but everyone's speculating so we have to kind of wait and see but big up Cortez um, hopefully this works out we see something good and interesting going forward and it's not some you know shitty varsity jackets i want to see something cool interesting in terms of in terms of collaboration on tracksuits like give us something fresh and new you know blow nocta out of the park because nocta out here doing some great things but again i feel like we can do it better because our tracksuit culture is the pinnacle the pinnacle and above all else is the top 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 thing moving on from that one it's this one have you guys seen this this is pretty cool right this is a video or it's a video clip taken from drake's latest video for his song jumbo jumbotron shit popping which i'm assuming is from the album that he did with 21 savage if i'm not mistaken and it's pretty cool because what you see in the video is him flexing loads of jewelry that he has bought from pharrell's auction that happened recently pharrell did an auction where he auctioned off loads of his past pieces stuff that he doesn't wear anymore is kind of over and loads of really cool iconic things if you're kind of you know, part of that lifestyle, and you know, well, going from back in the day with the Bape and BBC and what he meant to the culture back then, and he kind of sold all this stuff off, and you know, and included gold PSP that you can see Drake wearing. It involved an old Star Star Trek logo with all of people from NERD on it. 
included um, some skateboard chain that I think Drake's been flossing and wearing for a few times, but loads of cool, really interesting pieces. And I really liked it, but the response of people online and on social media has been a bit split. Some people have been loving it and thinking it looks really cool that he's buying it. Other people thinks, you know, like it's a bit strange that he's buying my man's jewelry and flexing like that on the gram. And maybe they're saying because they're quite close in age, that's a bit strange that he's kind of, you know, doing this thing. But I like it. I really do like it. I think it's pretty cool. I think it gives life to pieces of jewelry that would probably ended up in a museum somewhere because that's probably where they should belong considering their connection to culture and whatnot if they weren't going to be bought by somebody who was going to wear it maybe just put them in the in the in you know in a museum because i think the actual auction themselves they kind of popped them up like museum pieces that loads of information that kind of tied in next to it you can kind of read to see some sort of background information on it whatnot but i think the pieces themselves are absolutely gorgeous now they've got the here on the screen cursor i think there's a place where he did the auction called jupiter and as you can see that's the gold um blackberry that i think he also sold in auction i'm not sure if drake has that one that's a blackberry set eight set was that eight eighty seven so eight seven hundred and that's sold for what well, it looks like here sold for forty five thousand pounds forty five thousand dollars sorry um the other chain that drake also has i think it's this astronaut one made by jacob and co astronaut pendant that sold for one hundred and thirteen thousand um this one's one of my favorites i think in the whole collection there's this necklace here which is called the pearl necklace with a white emerald charm which is amazing so beautiful especially when you consider how corny and cheesy people's pearl necklaces are nowadays everyone's got these weird choker things that they're wearing and paint their nails black whereas this is like a nice kind of relaxed chain that kind of comes just you know it kind of sits a bit more easy on your neck doesn't choke you and maybe sits kind of just above your nipples and it's got this really nice emerald little motif on the end and it kind of if you look at the design it kind of will be similar to something you'd wear as a bracelet but it's kind of been made as a necklace which i really like and then of course the piece of resistance is the one on the right hand side we sold for 2.184 million which is the jacob and co nerd pendant chain which i think has got i think there was a cool zip baguettes i'm not sure i forgot what the links are called it's a particular kind of link but i remember when he debuted that was the first time i saw that link on the chain and it features a pendant with obviously the members of nerd there and the dog also which is pretty awesome there's another chain here which features the NERD brain logo, which is cool. Um, you've got another necklace here from Jacob and Co. with great emeralds on it. You've got another set of dice here from Jacob and Co. Jacob and Co. was doing so much good shit back in the day. You've got Oakleys that have been diamonded out. That I think maybe that's where Ian Connor got his idea to. He's got a pair of glasses. I think he's got a pair of maybe Ray-Bans that he's got, you know, Alianteed out here going forward. You've got another skateboard. Um, you've got a necklace with the skateboards on it, which is pretty cool again. Um, so pretty nice interesting things that Drake was able to get and my favorites were definitely these Casio G-Shocks that have been uh, bust down and I like them because I guess not too sure if it was limitation at the time when Jacob McCobb was making them but I like the fact that these bust downs of these Casios have only been applied to the face of the watch and not the straps so you still got the conventional rubber plastic whatever resin strap that you'd get from a Casio and in the front dial is still the same, but the actual face itself that houses the watch is being bust down. So that's it. So it's always like a regular watch, but a little bit of sparkle and detail on top, which is pretty sick. So the gold watch sold for $57,500. And then the one that is you would describe as like diamonds with maybe some colored stones here and there sold for $73,000. 
1,750, whatever. How, how do you say numbers? Was that 73,750? Yeah, there we go. Jesus Christ. And then, of course, you got the Odom and her Odom Miles, which I've never been a fan of in terms of a watch, personally. The more of a status symbol. But yeah, overall, really cool and amazing watch. I actually remember buying one of these Jacob Co. Time Zone fake watches back in the day in the market and flexing them. That was a good time to be alive, man. What a time. Imagine going to, imagine being a kid like myself working in retail and you're wearing a flipping Jacob and Co. watch. It's like so stupid. <laughs> you're making seven pounds an hour and you're wearing a diamond alleged diamond encrusted Jacob and Co. watch. But that, that was a good era. But I don't know. I like what Drake is doing. I like the recycling of other people's jewelry, especially iconic pieces like that that really define a moment in history, a moment in time. I think they look absolutely great on him also. Um and yeah, it's just another way for kids to get educated and find out what going in it and what the deal was, do their history, um, do their research, you know, study up on some things and kind of see where this inspiration actually comes from. And plus I still think he has really interesting good taste in jewelry because he wears Homer stuff as well, you know, he's all plugged into that kind of thing. So I think that's really cool. So I like it. I like it, I like it, I like it. Big fan of it. Big up Drake for wearing that stuff and making it pop again and making it go viral, viral, viral. Next here, quickly want to talk about this article because you know, hype beast regarding some footwear trends that are taking place at Milan Fashion Week that are absolutely hilarious because I always feel like fashion people have the worst taste in sneakers and I feel like this slideshow courtesy of Hypebeast which features some of the feet of people who are attending these shows in Milan has definitely proved to me that fashion people indeed do have the worst taste when it comes to sneakers you've got a pair of you know Jordan ones here that look like absolute shit and have been laced like shit You've got a pair of, I don't know what they are. I think they're Pumas or something. Maybe they're not. Whatever they are, they look absolute terrible things. These space boot cloud moon boot shits. You've got a pair of what could be Fendi sneakers. Yeah, they're Fendi sneakers that have been tied way too tight. They're probably too long. They're made of these like kind of weird denim material where the edges are frayed and they just look absolutely trash. And behind them, you've got an even worse pair of shoes. You've got these orange sandal things that look like Yeezy slides, but they've got these little bubbles all around them, like a football or something. And they've got this guy's toes poking out there. Imagine raw dogging, playing toes out there in Milan right now while it's raining and shit. That's a commitment to the look. You've got another pair of shoes here, which are, I don't know the brand again. I think they may be Prada, maybe Gucci, I'm too sure. But they look absolutely horrid regardless. And again, all these shoes are like, money right they're bucks they're flipping high 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 money shoes and they all look terrible you've got another pair here i think these are margella solomons right they may be margella solomons i think so these may be the best pair of shoes i've seen here but again they still look horrible they look like football boots um you've got a pair of gucci sambas which are pretty decent i think they're sambas right? i think they should be sambas they're pretty nice in terms of a look but that's just a classic gucci that's a classic ada samba colorway i think the kind of brown with the white stripes and the sort of gum outsole but then just added splashes of gucci on it with a gucci print and the gucci on the along the whole midsole i think that obviously works pretty well you've got another pair of these kind of robot shoes that look absolutely horrible maybe they look better here with the track pants actually compared to the other picture that i showed you previously you've got some denim pairs of jordans which look like they may be customs but they've got some stupid badge hanging on the side of them and the lacing's horrible look at the lacing on these shoes like, how are you going to wear shoes this expensive or this cool looking? Because, you know, not to me, but to some people and not lace them properly. Like, just awful, awful, awful finishing and attention to detail. You've got another guy wearing a pair of New Rock boots, which I'm always a big fan of. So, big other than my New Rock family. 
you know, don't hear anything bad about me saying about New Rock, so big up him. Another good entry there. You've got some guy wearing Margella Reeboks that just look like BMP Reeboks to me. Unfortunately, because I grew up in ends and I'm from a rough part of town and, you know, I've had my issues with some people who don't like the color of my skin, who tend to wear Reebok classics. These are never going to look, you know, anything other than, you know, shoes that guys who are in the NF and have mixed race kids would wear or have, you know, children that have mixed race kids. Those are, those are the ones I hate. Those are the usually hate hit us the most and would chase us down the street. And ironically, they would all support West Ham, which is no reason why I never could support West Ham. Because all the people that I knew that supported West Ham, you know, didn't like the colour of my skin and would chase me with poles and bats and kick my door when I run inside and shit and be trying to fight my dad. Like, mad, mad, mad shit. So, yeah, Reeboks, you know, sorry about that. Regardless, if you do collaboration with a legendary brand like Margiela and you give us a split turn the front, I can never wear you. Um, you've got another pair of shoes. Absolutely, maybe the worst pair of shoes on this list especially when you consider the pose the guy's doing that kind of weird toe down pose thing toe down heel up which is meant to um in girls brains make their legs look longer but if anything it just makes them look r-worded it's absolutely ridiculous absolutely an insult to everything that you value in terms of taste and style but these shoes alone the pants you can get going good they're like i don't know they got quilted leather pants or something which look awful but the shoes let me describe to you the shoes they are asics with the classic asex logo that horrible kill bill logo on the side it's type of a kill bill logo you got the yellow kibble colorway sorry you got the yellow and the black going on and you've got this horrendous really bulbous ugly brown gum sole thing cloud contraption that goes all around them that is absolutely horrible it looks like you stepped in a fucking fondue or something or you stepped in a croissant and they kind of encased the whole thing on the outside absolutely shocking and he's wearing black socks absolute myth can't get down with those in the slightest you've got another pair of shoes here what are these called what are these antony's what the fuck is an antony antonia's have you heard of a brand called antonia sneakers jesus christ what absolute horrible shoes i'm assuming this part of a collaboration because he's wearing palm angel um bandana print socks with shoes that got that bandana print all over them as well like absolutely horrendous piss pairs of shoes like god almighty they probably they, those shoes are probably more than what i pay monthly rent I, I i don't doubt it then you've got somebody who came to a milan fashion show wearing snow boots and leather jogging pants are they leather? I don't know what they are. Let's say they're leather for the for the troll. Leather jogging pants and fucking uh snow boots. Absolutely horrifying. Like legitly horrifying. Like this is definitely not what you describe to be style. And all these people attending the events are up their own ass. They're proper, you know, um take themselves way too seriously and think they got that shit on when it's actually they have shit on. Like actual shit. I don't know what these are. These are Raf Simmons shoes. Again, terrible. If you didn't know what the brands were, you look at them and think they were shoes that, you know, you'd wear to correct your walking if you can't walk properly. But they're absolutely horrendous. And in the last slide, you've got probably the best shoe of the lot with terrible pants. You've got a pair of Nike Air Max TNs. The only good thing I can see about the actual section of shoes here, apart from how terrible they look, the only other good thing, there's a couple of good ones I like, is the fact that they all look, look, they all look worn. Like everyone here looks like they wear their sneakers. So you don't have a lot of like box fresh guys or people with covering their soles of their shoes with tape or they're doing that weird walk, that duck walk that a lot of older sneaker heads do so they don't crease the front of their shoes. All these shoes look like they've been worn and shit, but 
God Almighty, they look absolutely horrible, absolutely horrific. Um, I don't want to see them ever again. But if you do want to see them yourself, this um, little slideshow article that I checked out is available on Hypebeast. The title is Here Are the Biggest Street Style Footwear Trends at Men's Milan Fashion Week for Winter 2023. Obviously, you can click it and check it out yourself if you want to, but I don't recommend it. I do not recommend it because they look absolutely rancid. And talking about rancid, and I want to get some clarification on this, but I think these are absolutely terrible. And I'm really sad and saddened by this because I love the shoe and I love Tom Sachs. And obviously, most of you know that I've got the original Marty Yards and I still want to get these GPSs, but I never ended up getting around to getting a pair. But this new colorway that's being pushed out there is legitimately one of the worst things I've seen in my entire life. The original GPS colorway shoe I thought was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty muted when it went in line with the design ethos of Tom Sachs and Tom Sachs Studio and what they're trying to push in terms of not having shoes be precious, having people out there actually wear them. I actually liked it and I thought they were kind of a good, you know, evolution from what they were doing prior. And maybe some people would argue they may be boring, but I liked what they were doing with it. But this colorway of a shoe, this all brown monstrosity is legitimately one of the worst things i've seen in my entire life because it's not quite acg um it's not quite you know gr but it sits in some weird place it's got this weird look to it because i think acg brown which you'd see on kind of lava domes and lavas and um every bit dirties and stuff like you see this kind of brownie colorway it's kind of accented or broken up with bits of bits of slate bits of gray bits of green like just to kind of mix up a little bit but this whole just like let's just dip this in some shit and put it out there is absolutely horrendous and i think my theory just a theory from a guy on the outside looking in I don't think these are colorways that are Tom Sachs approved. I have a feeling, for whatever reason, down the line, which is, again, standard Nike procedure, right? They have an absolute hit on their hands with the Mars Yard. We have, you know, a legit design collaboration with a legit design studio that's got a lot of its own clout, recognition, fame, hype, and variety behind them. You've got a guy that clearly cares about creating an entire world an immersive universe around these shoes that only add to the variety and the selloutness and whatnot and the hype around the shoe that's obviously going to lead to their stock going up and shoes selling out and queues everywhere and all that viral marketing it's all in hand it's all ready to go and he's willing to do new interesting things and not just take an air max and strip it with this you know of a midsole or whatnot he's actually creating a kind of quasi new shoe from the ground up and making that work and whatnot it's all cool interactive shit he's getting kids to send in applications and ideas on why they should wear the shoe and be wear test models like all these really cool interesting things really really amazing and then somehow because they got all this authority and control you don't like that and you take it away from them and you place it in the hands of these nike designers who for whatever reason don't know a good colorway when it smacks them in the ass right it's always kind of regurgitating the retros or the old colors from back in the day that were done really well but these newer designers don't seem to be able to put good colorways together and I've got a feeling these colorways of this night of this um, Nike craft general purpose shoe are colorways that have been selected by Nike in-house designers and not stuff that's been done by Tom Sachs and his crew. Maybe that first iteration of the GPS shoe was something sorry, of the general purpose shoe, Nike craft general purpose shoe was the one that was done by Tom Sachs team, the first colorway. But I feel like this brown monstrosity is definitely something Nike did because it looks so bad. It looks so shit. It looks so horrible. And I hate everything about it. And it's annoying because now it's making me hate the shoe. The color is so bad. You know, sometimes you see a color of a shoe of a shoe you don't like and it makes you buy it. 
The opposite can happen too. You can see a shoe that you like and a colorway that you don't like, and then suddenly it looks horrible. Suddenly you see the wrong person wearing. It's like the Air Max Nike, the Nike Air Max 270. I thought that was a decent shoe. Then suddenly when all the, you know, people in my area who I won't describe where they're from were like wearing them, suddenly the, you know, the kind of appeal and the coolness of them went all the way down to the ground until it went underground and now it's completely over. So those things can happen to shoes very quickly. And I feel like the same thing is going to happen to this general purpose shoe. I'm going to start seeing these tied up extra tight. I'm going to see some donut wearing these with extra wide trousers, you know, smoking a flipping roll-up ciggy or something, or drinking some natural wines, and I'm going to be like, Ugh, and I'm not going to want to buy it myself, because they look absolutely horrendous, and I'm really, really pissed off. But I have got a feeling that this is a colorway that Nike designs are putting together, this absolute brand monstrosity. But if you do want to purchase them, it says here the field brown this is meant to be field brown it's just like shit brown to me or maybe danny brown <laughs> no <laughs> it's said to release on the fifth via nike and select the retailer similar to previous colorways the pairs are set to retail at 110 um after the original studio colorway was restocked last month they have been coming releases what's that what's that video? let's see this let's look at the original colorway because that brown one is that as you saw it's fucking shocking in my opinion look at this original colorway compared to that and again original colorway isn't that great again compared to the original mars yards themselves but this shits all over whatever you just saw previously so my theory is that this particular colorway here right in front of you this colorway which is described as what um this nike described colorway is described as studio colorway don't actually have any more details regarding it but it's just a studio this actual colorway which is kind of a mixture of creams whites and you know a bit of solid brown and a black outsole with some nice blue essence on the pool tabs this is something that was designed in-house by the tom Sachs team but that horrible brown monstrosity you saw me post before that i was talking about is definitely something made by nike team themselves but this is tom's like, that's nike and i think for whatever reason maybe because nike are flipping obsessed with having control and having their fingers and everything and having oversight and everything maybe they've pulled away some of their privileges and maybe kind of reined it in and allowed the designers to do it and clearly the designers aren't as good as tom Sachs designers because you know it's fucking tom Sachs. and now we've got this horrible shit in those brown ones which i absolutely hate and i think they look awful they even called Field Brown Colorway, which is absolutely horrendous name. I don't think all brown shoes like this should ever work unless you're going to be making an all brown, like a curry dunk type of style shoe. That's maybe the only way it works, but these brown monstrosities are horrible. I hate everything about them. Um, I hope they never existed, and I'm theory that I put out there is I think these are made by the Nike design team, hence why I hate them. But yeah, what can you do? Good things don't last forever, innit? Good things don't last forever let's quickly want to mention this it's absolutely hilarious so my girl peggy goo or our girl peggy goo the scenes peggy goo the much derided the much antagonized the much abused the much ridiculed the much praised the much loved the much adored and followed peggy goo sat down with resident advisor which is hilarious right i think someone mentioned it as well it's kind of absolutely hilarious because just the other day just the other day just the other day, RA were there trying to uh, LARP as an advocate for the working class by talking about how hard it is to break into electronic music if you're from working class areas. And then you've got somebody like Peggy Goo, who is the complete opposite of that and maybe was afforded some opportunities and some chances and some space and time to do certain things 
based on the privileges she's had of course which is nice which is great but i just find that contrast to be utterly fantastic and utterly hilarious but regardless the interview itself was absolutely hilarious with resident advisor exchange out there in ade i think if i'm not mistaken it was meant to be filmed but then it didn't get put out i remember seeing something about it and maybe I'm, I'm not mistaken i remember checking on it and thinking it wasn't going to be available it never got put out then suddenly it came out now so clearly maybe some things got edited maybe they didn't want to put on video because video maybe get spread more easy and when it's audio type of stuff it can kind of get left by the waist like no one's going to sit down here and listen to a 50 minute pay-per-view interview apart from me like an idiot but i did actually listen to it and there's some really funny pieces that i want to pull out here that for hilarious quotes that i've written down in my flipping um notes here up here that i'm going to read to you but of course if you want to check out yourself you can it's available on resident advisor exchange i think they've got a podcast feed on most podcast applications but you can find it on soundcloud it's on their account which is soundcloud.com for slash ra dash exchange and it's the latest one episode number 643 featuring peggy goo but she says at the beginning of the or somewhere in the middle of the pod i do my own instagram i don't have a manager right which i was think was hilarious because i think she was saying it in a way of like she's really hard working i do my own instagram what a big deal and the manager thing again it's not that big of a deal either especially if you've got a booking agent they're kind of your quasi manager anyway having a manager you know taking money in your pocket and a booking agent taking money in your pocket is a little bit dumb so you should probably only have one um that can maybe cover both sort of you know areas that makes complete sense but her kind of flexing that she does her own instagram was making me absolutely love um there was a common theme throughout the entire interview of her saying saying no saying no saying no to opportunities which i thought was utterly bizarre but i guess when it comes to these sort of programs these sort of sorry these sort of panel discussions or these sort of q a's and interviews it's primarily an opportunity for her to speak her piece so her issues her you know um stumbling blocks her hurdles and clearly saying yes saying no beforehand was an issue for her so now she's getting to this, she got to this point in life this awakening where now she said no and suddenly she feels more free feels more empowered but i just found it funny the contrast of her basically in a weird way giving herself a pat on the back that she's so in demand and so um you know well loved and people want to book her all over the place that she's having to turn down these illustrious gigs right <laughs> to maintain their mental health and the purity of her artistry when you contrast that with what's happening in the real world if you're not a you know world touring dj out there that's super popular for many people myself included just getting free gigs is hard out there because of the changing landscape of the world and nightlife and whatnot that's completely changed post pandemic right i was somebody that was playing every single weekend in my little local area of cocktail bars and pubs and breweries i was there playing in the corner you know to a crowd of flipping two every weekend and then suddenly it completely dried up post pandemic so clearly that's an issue for most of us i would assume out there who are not in the top five one percent of people who get to tour around the world so her basically gloating that she's saying no was absolutely hilarious in that regard there's a really funny bit also where she said everyone wanted me to do edm which was hilarious um and she also used that as something to kind of boast about which i guess if you're somebody of her level that is something to kind of be somewhat proud of because you'd imagine especially when she first burst on the scene she was flipping everywhere that easy cash grab of dipping into the adm bag edm bag like what fred again is doing with skrillex and all that sort of stuff is really tempting and easy because that money is quick and easy and it can propel you to a bit of stardom that you're probably never going to get just occupying the kind of scene circuit you can maybe get you, you could probably you know if you hang around skrillex long enough and diplo you might end up you know catching a case but you also might end up you know 
catching a quick little cheeky Grammy nomination because you decided to go oots at oots at or leave somebody a cheeky voicemail on the on their phone like what Fred again fucking rinses right that could also happen you never know so I understand your law so maybe her saying no to EDM was a big deal so big up her for that one I do like the bit that she says genuinely do like that she mentioned how important and how inf- no, how important boiler room um deck mantle was to her career because for every reason maybe it's because of you know the tory nature and the privileged nature of the founders who founded boiler room which is again not their fault it is what it is i still think you know a guy from that kind of background deciding to flip and muck it up or muck in with us regular schmegular normies here on the ground level is definitely good taking that money from daddy and mommy and investing it back into the scene and building this amazing platform that's basically self-sufficient that he stepped away from it now if i'm not mistaken i think you're sort of dice so that guy's not even involved i've got his name tall skinny white dude with curly hair but he stepped away from it but i always thought regardless of his background and what he does unless it's kiddie diddling and shit i don't really care if he's rich and he's got weird opinions and he's a tory i still think the platform itself has done more good for the scene than it's a negative because I've seen people's careers. I think of somebody like a Jada G who also had her issues about, you know, um, how she's represented, how she's looked at in terms of a DJ and having too many people maybe Google her and, you know, see her as a sex object. But she, even she mentions in her interviews how important that Dick Mantle boiler room set was. And I think there's many people out there that would say the same thing, that boiler room and these kind of platforms do change your trajectory of your career because they immediately, you know, you've got these metrics that could be used from booking agents and venues, justify booking you. You've got the ability to play in front of a new audience. You've got the ability to play in front of kind of people in the industry themselves who might recommend you to different people. All these things take place. And for whatever reason, Dick Mantle seems to be a place that attracts a lot of punters a lot of kind of consumers, um, customers like myself, and people that actually work in the industry. So uh, clearly, those kind of platforms can go a long way to kind of propelling your career. So the fact that she gave Boiler Room credit for that was really good, considering how people love to hate Boiler Room nowadays. Um, and then um, I wanted to mention there was oh she spoke about yeah she spoke about the, yeah this is a funny bit she spoke about her that viral video. Um, that happened a few months back i think of her playing i think it's somewhere in greece i think it's greece she's playing somewhere in greece she plays her hit record starry night which unfortunately has aged terribly it's aged terribly it kind of reminds me of that track um with the maria maria sample dj Khaled did with rihanna that aged terribly too i think i remember when that dropped thinking oh my god this is amazing and then by the next day i think if i'm not mistaken it dropped on like a thursday <laughs> i think so I think it dropped on like a Thursday. And if I'm not mistaken, I was playing somewhere on a Friday night. And I swear on my life, it dropped on a Thursday. I went to go play out on a Friday in a place where they would, you know, receive that track well. And after the first verse and chorus, it died. I was like, wow, this tune's already dying. So it already got rinsed in like a space of a day. It got rinsed already. And, you know, it kind of died a slow death. And I think the same thing happened to Starry Night. But anyway, there's a video of Peggy Goo playing somewhere. I'm going to say it's Greece, somewhere very, you know, bougie. And she's playing, at whatever venue she's playing is really weird because the DJ booth is kind of like in the middle and everyone's kind of surrounding her in a sort of daytime sort of thing. And she's playing and doing her Peggy Goo dancing and, you know, trying to be cute and mysterious and artistic and having fun behind the booth and doing a thing which is admirable. And everyone's just like staring at her, recording a video as she's dancing there. And it looks funny and weird because obviously everyone's just standing and staring at her. But it's kind of a reflection of her crowds overall. You go and look at videos online of her playing lately. And unfortunately, just because of her star level and maybe because she's attractive, I don't know. 
people just stand and stare. You see a lot of things happening. We see that a lot happening with um, Nina Kravitz. Look at videos of Nina Kravitz, especially when you place in places like Italy and shit. You just see like row after row of the same looking white Italian guy right, with dark hair with his smartphone just staring at her as she's playing and she's doing her best like Nina Kravitz thing right with her with her high-waisted shorts right it's tucked in t-shirt like doing her thing and no one's they're just staring at her and I don't know if they're just staring at her waist if they're just admiring her face who knows but definitely there's something that happens when you become really popular where you attract this normie crowd who just stand in with their iphone just you know staring at you through the, the, the iphone screen unfortunately but i liked how she said that wasn't my responsibility it's like um, it kind of is isn't it like you become so big that unfortunately you've kind of lost contact with quote-unquote real ravers or the underground as she hates to say and now you've kind of got these fans who are just there to kind of you know capture you on their smartphone show their friends that they're you know that they have an Asian friends or people that they like from their community. And then that's it. But they're not really caring too much about artistry in any way, shape or form. I thought that was hilarious. But I thought this bit in the interview was super, super funny where she mentions something to do about her haters and her critics. And I guess, cause I guess the question kept getting asked the same way, different times. And then finally the mask slipped off, right? She, her real self popped out, which I've always believed this to be the fact. I've always believed that, underneath all this kind of like i don't really care sort of stuff there's this person underneath her that's just like fuck you i'm collecting money do you know what i mean i'm getting to the bag like i think there's a real cold heart cold not cold-hearted there's a real cold business woman behind that mask of like being the happy dj dancing having a good time wearing fashionable clothes there's like no no i'm getting to the bag like i'm i mean i know what okay i see this business i see how this works i'm collecting the bag you guys speaking all this stuff about me online it's all noise it's all flipping static it's all white noise doesn't matter i'm getting to back i'm getting to the bag but they kept asking the same question all the time about haters and about you know critics and whatnot and she had this very interesting thing to say which is a good indication of what her priorities are when it comes to DJing yeah? and it's all about the money money dollar 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 bills y'all so let's forward it over I think it's about 17 I think it's about 1727 I think so, so let's play 1723 I think it's around here your art is being put into boxes by you know whoever yeah. and let's not forget all those un people who call themselves underground mm -hmm. when they get the same offer as what I do do you think they will say no it's going to be very, very hard to say no, indeed. Oh, by the way, that moderator was fucking annoying. She did a terrible job, which is a shame because she was so good at moderating the flipping Discord panel back in the day. I remember listening to her ages ago. It's like a three-hour panel. I listened to Waste Time on. It was like a three-hour panel when Discord went through their issues with you know racism and sexism and assault and whatnot with their bounces back whenever it happened. And she moderated that panel and she did a pretty decent job of trying to pull as much as you could from the owners and founders who are not being the most you know uh cooperative in that kind of uh, you know um situation but i felt like this entire fucking interview she was really wanting to flipping tongue down peggy it was a real licking of her ass it was flipping quite nauseating to witness to be honest but hey it is what it is but i thought that was a hilarious answer that she added there right if all these people that that believed to be underground had the same gigs that I was getting offered, would they be saying, would they be saying no kind of thing? It's like, but that's the whole point, isn't it? Or people criticizing you and people of your ilk 
is that you know the wealth and the gigs and the big monies are only accrued at the top no one's paying some underground dj that doesn't look like you <laughs> to play for nike for like 40 why don't you pay was it 40 grand 100 grand whatever that was back in the day whenever it was it maybe that was the whole point but i love the i love that she missed the point completely and said that you know they would all play for the same money that i would be paid for if, if they weren't to do it which you know it's funny because it clearly shows that what her intentions are and where the main priorities lie in this thing you know because some people out there don't necessarily want to play for money they want to play in cool places they want to connect to cool crowds they want to go to all interesting things but hey whatever it is then there was a question uh, on the interview regarding influence she was like oh yeah i use my platform to be a positive influence which i thought was dumb because she didn't have anything to say and again that's nothing also i need to point out she did come across a bit dense it's not her fault because none you know we don't have we'll have a talent for public speaking english is her second language it might be something lost in translation but i thought overall what this did do was reaffirm my long-held but oftentimes um fall and belief that i kind of slip and backslide and make a mistake to break but in general i've always said you should never idolize or you know um celebrate djs outside of just what they do behind the decks you should never even want to get to know them. And I've made the mistake of doing it myself, especially when it comes to people that I find new or you find that you may be attractive, whatever, maybe you want to just dig in and find more about them and communicate with them. And you start to realize that, oh, you're a bit of a wanker, innit? You're a bit of a div, innit? You're a bit of a C-U-N-T. And it doesn't necessarily sit right. And for me, I don't know about you, but sometimes if you meet people or you kind of eat meat them and they come off a bit, you know, they come off like a cunt, it's hard to then listen to their mix or be a fan of their music or support them anyway. It kind of taints it. So knowing that most people you know myself included have cunty things about us i would much rather just leave it to one side all that stuff and just focus on the music alone so i feel like these kind of interviews if anything they don't really serve these djs any well to be honest unless you're you know unless you can speak well unless you're an interesting person it's not really gonna work and for something like a peggy goo like outside of djing and wearing cool clothes like what is she really doing day to day that would make her an interesting or compelling person to listen to what life experiences does she have that would actually you know what would actually um would actually warrant having a sit down you know of an hour plus interview that would actually be of any kind of value i say absolutely none and maybe that again isn't her fault because you know if you're somebody that's a specialist in a particular field you have to dedicate a lot of your time to the art that you're doing day to day you're touring all the time listen to music producing you know mixing blah 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 there's not enough time to be reading books and you know watching movies or going to far-flung places or hanging out with friends you're constantly on the grind so clearly you're a bit one-track minded but i've got to say she did come across incredibly incredibly dense there was parts where they were trying to probe her to you know be a bit more introspective and to maybe open up a little bit and it was just like there was nothing there maybe it could be pr because she didn't want to get involved in you know talking about societal political issues which again it's funny considering all the madness that she did during um what's it called during the pandemic do you remember that all the play graves the most iconic one i think i may have here was this one where she went um, to Russia to celebrate Nina Kravitz's birthday or her birthday. Is it Nina Kravitz's birthday or her birthday? I don't know. Someone's birthday that happened in Russia. That was absolutely hilarious. I think I might have it here. Is it, why isn't it loading? Uh, Business Teshno, of course, um, have a record of the entire thing. And I think this was during like the peak of the pandemic. Again, we now know a pandemic was a whole launch of whole bunch of nonsense. They clearly, you know, uh, pulled a fast us on us, pulled a fast one on us, especially when it comes to the COVID passports and the face masks, all this nonsense. But when we were in full hysteria, when we were all panicking, we were all scared. Our grandmothers would be dying 
partying and stuff because people couldn't stay inside and not go for a rave not go to a rave for a couple of months these people were flying all over the place and partying in places where the restrictions weren't as tight where people were maybe obfuscating the numbers and whatnot go to third world countries and other far playing places and for whatever reason they decided to go to flipping nina Travis's home country and have a good time and post all these pictures all over instagram and you know the party happened in some sort of palace here as you can see i'm private party behind closed doors pcr test for all the famous people social distancing not coming close to the decks and stuff the sort of, sort of bullshit it was absolutely hilarious so maybe this is the reason why she doesn't want to get involved in political type issues but clearly they're trying to probe her, but it wasn't really working that well in that regard and then there's actually a clip actually here they uploaded on twitter that's got a bit of her actually talking that actually play um that's funny because she says i'm gonna tell you things that you can't google and she tells absolutely nothing that's actually the meme i've got from this whole entire interview she gave us absolutely nothing you see the same face that she's giving you now like she's kind of dead behind the eyes that's what you got from the interview it was absolutely nothing you got there from her whatsoever there's not much going on there in the mind of miss peggy Goo. but this clip is courtesy of resident advisor which kind of you know gives you a sneak peek of what she sounds like and what she had to say i'm also aware sometime i get shit for my uh, like mm -hmm. the crowd's reaction or their behavior for example recently there was a video of me playing my hit and funny enough that's the moment that i want everyone to dance but this is the moment where everybody stopped dancing and taking a video and i remember one time in new york i think it was a time where everybody just stopped dancing and i thought it was like black mirror and it, it's funny it's funny because in this segment she says something like it's not my responsibility that the crowd is not dancing it's like isn't that the whole premise of a dj is that to go into a space and basically make the people go from left to right two-step dance jump scream shout faint that's the whole premise that's the whole responsibility and job description of a dj so the fact that she's saying now at this point of her career if people just stand there and oogle her through a phone that's not her responsibility is really bizarre but that's not even the long and short of it. The funniest thing I thought for me was this quote, which again, maybe it's just her maybe being media trained or maybe not really understanding the question, but it was something about using a platform to speak about certain issues. And I think the moderator said something about, oh, everyone was posting black squares during the whole COVID stuff and during the unfortunate death of George Floyd. And she said something like this. I think the quote, which I wrote down on my phone is this, when it comes to responsibility, you shouldn't voice that you, no, you shouldn't voice it that you feel relate you should no let's go again when it comes to responsibility you shouldn't voice it you should feel related to the subject so i think she was kind of trying to say you shouldn't be doing performative stuff online you should be living it and breathing it by your actions which again i don't understand how that makes sense maybe her way of showing that she's you know have solid has you know is a flipping ally to black people and stands with black lives matter is supposed to picture of her and seth trucks or something i don't really know but I thought that was absolutely bizarre comment to make. And then it follows on from that one, which is the funniest one, which I think is always a comment people make who don't really stand for anything and don't really have anything to offer the world apart from what they do, their expertise, which again, is not a bad thing. But I feel like those people, they get asked too much to kind of, you know, give us your opinion on this, on that, when really all they want to do is take sexy pictures. They want to wear cool clothes. They want to play music. They want to hang out, buy new nice things, go on nice holidays. And that's okay. But when you try and push them to be advocates for certain things or speak to certain things, it can be a real disappointment. And she said the following. She said, you say something, people give you shit. You don't say something, they give you shit. Which again, like I said, is a classic quote from people that don't have anything to say. Don't really stand on anything. 
they say, oh, if I say something, I get shit. If I don't say something, I get shit. I think you heard Kim Kardashian say it recently. And mostly it's when you don't know what to say. You don't really have a position on anything. And which is okay. But I just feel like, you know, just maybe shut up and don't really get involved. Um, and I also love the fact that she got this quote from Harvey. I guess she's got a relationship or spoke to DJ Harvey. And um, DJ Harvey basically gave her some advice in terms of how to deal with haters. And he says something like, oh, like, if they're talking about you, it's a good thing. They're talking about you. Which is funny because I think from DJ Harvey's point of view, his haters are completely different to haters maybe you would describe Peggy Goo as having. Right? There's people maybe who feel like she's got propelled to a level her talent maybe doesn't deserve. Maybe they feel like her come up was made easy based on her upbringing and the privileges that she was basically allotted to. Maybe they feel like it was a woman thing, whatever, whoever the issue is. But there's a lot of, I feel like, I won't say justifiable but there's a lot of there's probably a lot of um weight to a lot of the criticism behind peggy whether you like her or not there is some legit criticism that maybe can be pointed to her as her and how her career has been navigated through whatever she's done but it's not nothing to do with what cut dj harvey went through and if anything the dj harvey quote was more to do with how he had to kind of combat against people you know especially the chin strokers especially people that maybe thought he was a little bit too niche and maybe took himself way too seriously when it comes to music and his obsession with not maybe releasing set lists of what he played and hiding, you know, the label, the track he's played, all this sort of stuff that, you know, a lot of the chin strokers, Shazam type people, when they first popped up on the scene, were getting offended by is not really similar to anything that Peggy Goo's going to going through in terms of maybe some of the criticism she gets, gets her way. And anyway, forget the criticism, she probably gets more love than criticism anyway because she's one of the biggest DJs out there in the world, right? She's got millions of followers, I'd assume. Maybe the millions. Let's actually check. I've got Instagram loaded up here. Is it millions? Is it millions? It should be millions. Maybe it's hundreds of thousands of followers, but you wouldn't let Yeah, that's it. 2.7 million actually followers she's got on Instagram. So, you know, this whole idea that you're getting all this hate from people is a little bit, a little bit dramatic. And a little bit, you know, worries me when really and truly you have more love than haters because clearly you're booked and busy and thriving out here. Thriving, 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 despite, you know, the limited output and whatnot. But I thought that was funny. But the best bit for sure, for sure, was the Q&A. Um, there was a bit where the moderator got a bit pissed off at some lady that was sharing a pretty nice, I thought, story and anecdote that related to Peggy. It's like, oh, have you got your question? Hurry up. It's like, bro, just let her breathe. She's going to get to it. Chill. That was funny. But I thought the best bit definitely came with some lady towards the end who I think was Asian. I think she might have been Chinese. And she said something along the lines of like, hey, I'm also Asian. And I wanted to know, like, how do you overcome your hurdles and difficulties in your career? And Peggy's immediate response is like, oh, I have many difficulties. Please specify or please be more precise. Like, all right, sorry, you're the champion. You're the world, you're the world Cup winner of problems. Sorry, I, I didn't know that. We only have four. You have 17. My bad. Uh, <laughs> and it was funny because clearly from the person's question that was i think asian it was clearly like hey i'm also from you know this part of the world where traditionally girls aren't really meant to do these type of jobs and maybe family members won't really be encouraging or supportive of you deciding to stop your studies to do so it kind of required an answer like hey when i was coming up even though i came because the thing that you see a lot i think of it there was clearly an idea in her head maybe to avoid 
actually speaking the truth and saying how she actually came up legitimately, which again, I don't think is an issue. I don't think the fact that she comes from a rich family that afforded her the ability to kind of gallivant around London and Berlin and do what she wanted and figure out life through that way and whatnot. I don't think that's a bad thing. Everyone's got their way of going forward. Like, you know, just because you interned at a record label, um, you know, for nothing for seven years and that's how you got your come up. It doesn't mean your come up story is any better than hers. Everyone's got their journey. But for whatever reason, she's very resistant and hesitant to talk about it maybe because it's a private life she doesn't talk about it but i feel like that's an important part to put out there so that you can give people perspective of how your journey kind of got to where you got to because you know giving that nonsense anecdotal advice can kind of feel a bit vague and a bit wishy-washy and a bit kind of you know um for the sake of just saying it so i feel like with that girl that she, she asked that question it kind of required maybe a, a an answer like hey even though i had the privileges afforded to me that i could take more chances because my parents had this whatever and it gave me the opportunity to do what i need to do it's still a situation where maybe you have to show and prove so maybe you know she could say something like oh you know to convince my parents to give me a chance i told them i'd take a year off of school and after that i'd go back to it but obviously i was never going to go back to it and i really made sure in that year i did everything i could i emailed this that it would just require a little bit more introspection a little bit more depth a little bit more you know pulling out from a personal story because she had the beginning of the interview she's like oh i'm gonna say stuff in this interview you can't google and it's like what couldn't we google like yeah you know i mean there wasn't much to really say because again like i said she has a you know a bit of a personality of a cardboard box but i feel like a lot of it is purposefully guarded because she doesn't want to put out certain things because you don't want the perception of her to change but it's like look you've already got 2.7 million fans people love you the way you are it doesn't matter if you say you're a princess it doesn't matter if you say you you know you grew up in the flipping in some rice field somewhere people are still going to love you so it's not going to change anything so i thought that was a bit of a shame that she didn't really try and connect asian to asian and provide that lady with a little bit more insight of how she can maybe deal with it culturally societally in terms of kind of dealing with how to pursue a career in music and whatnot so that didn't really work out too well but i thought the best one was definitely the question that somebody asked about ghana that was pretty cool some person popped up and said i'm from ghana we'd love to invite you down she said yeah i'd be down to come and you can maybe play alongside me or something i thought that was a sweet moment um so that was pretty cool to see um the person that asked us like you know they went to put an underground event in bukta which is you know a bit of an oxymoron but i thought that was pretty cool regardless and then the end point actually she also said something like oh she wants to create timeless music so that's maybe maybe you think what might answer why the question was a bit why the whole interview was a bit weird and a bit cagey because maybe she's at a point in her career now if, or maybe that's why also it might explain why she kept rambling on about the fucking no thing about not saying no so about saying no all the time maybe she's reached a point of her career now where she started to realize that she made some mistakes of being open and ready to do everything and anything in a pursuit of trying to make it and trying to be famous and trying to make money and trying to get more gigs and playing all these cool clubs maybe she's realizing it kind of backfired a little bit because now the places that she actually wants to play at they don't want to take her because she's maybe stained and tainted from all these other places again i'm just hypothesizing here no insight just me being a partner from the outside looking in maybe that's how she's seen it and maybe also starry starry night is a good starry night so it's a good example in that that track hasn't aged well so her being as popular as she is and also being the consummate professional she plays her hits there's something they have to give her credit for similar to jeff mills jeff mills probably hates the bells to this day to, to this day probably he's probably bored of playing it but every gig that i've ever heard every gig that i've ever been where i've seen jeff mills play he always plays the bells so i feel like peggy Goo is a concert professional she turns up she's on time she's not fucked up she plays her tracks 
and play Starry Night, does her little sexy dance behind the stage and pop and dives off to a black Escalade somewhere and goes back to a hotel room. So she does that thing, but I can imagine it's probably driving her crazy playing that song. So clearly she's in a point where she's like, you know what, I want to make timeless music. I want to be a legit artist. So when I look back on my career, I can be proud of the work I've done. I think she even mentioned something along the lines of somebody saying, I forgot who said it to her, but someone said to her as advice, um, take your time with your music because your discography is going to be with you forever, which is a quite sage advice. Like don't rush tracks and just put them out for the sake of it because, you know, that discography lasts forever. It's going to be here when you're far gone and you don't want to have like duds in your flipping um, discography if you don't need to have. So clearly that's a conscious thing she's kind of mulling over. But like I said, originally at the beginning, it was a pretty underwhelming interview. There wasn't much shared in it that you wouldn't really be able to get outside of Google if you're not really that much interested in her. I think she came across a little bit um, lacking in self-awareness. She came across a little bit in her own world, which again makes sense because I remember some people telling me this when I was getting into scene heavy like meeting the big big djs it's like that like you'd realize that they're not really quite all there in the head they're kind of in their own little bubble um they kind of you know they don't really some of them don't even know what's going on around the world in terms of news because they're just locked in completely to what they're doing in terms of living this kind of fast life playing music doing drugs drinking flying all around the world it's no real time to kind of get plugged in with what's happening in real society and kind of getting a kind of plug on things so it's a bit strange talking to me and i feel like you got it a little bit with this peggy Goo interview obviously the moderator didn't really help because it wasn't really probing interview questions or anything it was a little bit like softball questions she clearly you know was licking her ass and maybe a little bit what you call it starstruck with somebody that big talking to her at ad i'm not really too sure but i thought that didn't really help and overall peggy's answers to the q a's at the end which i thought the questions were pretty solid and decent and we probably should have listed some interesting responses were very flat and kind of you know meh whatever it may be so again it could be because this is a new version of her she's trying to push out there she's trying to maybe pull away and not give people too much but i thought it was a little bit lame and a little bit flat and kind of just you know whatever you would describe you know her instagram to be not to be rude or anything but it's basically just pictures of her staring into the camera somewhere with you know a nice background of the thing in front of a sold out crowd me 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 and that's what you kind of got from the instagram whoever this person is how they present themselves is how you got from sorry how you got from that podcast or that flipping um ade panel discussion it wasn't that much more interesting outside of that which again leads me to believe for the most part if you are fans of djs just be fans of them support the music go and watch them play go and support their albums and their merch or whatever it may be but communicating with them in any kind of way in a human way um, or trying to quote unquote be their friend is definitely going to lead to more heartbreak than anything else and you're probably going to end up not liking the, them as people which is something that i've kind of fell in the trap of doing when i kind of try to be personable with somebody and talk to them and maybe you're kind of oddly flirting whatever you're doing and then it kind of you know you, you kind of just get the feeling the person's a bit of a piece of shit and you're like you know what oh, man this is a shame now you know i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna actively avoid any kind of lineup you're on because i just don't want to be around that energy so that's a problem but if you just treat them as artists as what they are as people who are meant to be providing you with great you know background music with great soundtracks to your life they may define a certain point in your life a breakup a friendship makeup introduction a new country visited that's when they're really cool that's when they use your tool and also the ability to find new interesting tracks that you kind of dig in deep into and maybe explore into especially when you think of her korean background and stuff she might play a track that might make you get obsessed with k-pop or get obsessed with that side of other things of music sort of folk whatever it may be going forward but like i said a little bit underwhelming a little bit flat um you know not the 
greatest bubbliest personality in the world and the answers are a bit shit but hey it is what it is it is what it is so that has been the excellent show episode number 642 thanks so much for tuning in as per usual if you listen to the audio version of the show you will hear my tune of the day you will hear that coming up after this if you're listening to the or watch this via the video format what should you be doing now you should be clicking the audio format and skipping to the end and listen to tune there because there's gonna be a banger and i'll see you guys again very very soon take care be safe peace my friends how it got to be this way how it got to be so good how it got to be when i think about it i don't even Stop the thinking, let it rest and I'll flow